Hey everybody, how are you? This is Repros for Iowa. Um, I'm Micah Doolin. My pronouns are they or them. Um, I don't know if you can hear it in the background, but I am printing something. Um, but yeah, uh, it's Disability Pride Month. Um, so I wanted to bring on Erin Noonke from Claiming Disability. Uh, she's a content creator, she's a podcaster, and she advocates for disability rights. Um, and I think that's, she's the perfect person to have on. Um, the interview that I did with her, it was a couple of months ago, um, probably back in February or January. Um, but I was saving it for, you know, a special day. And I think that this is like the perfect time to release the the interview that I did with her. Um, so before we get into that, I just kind of want to, as always, tell you about what's going on with me. Uh, you know, last time I, I ranted into the microphone for about 20 minutes. Uh, so sorry about that. Um, but yeah, there's a lot going on. Um, I am trying to take it easy, um, and hang out more at home and eventually we'll get to painting our new house. We bought a house. We're homeowners. Um, for those that you don't know me, I bought a house with my longtime partner, um, Tyler, um, up in Cedar Rapids. Um, and we haven't had a lot of time to do stuff, uh, but we'll get there eventually, I think. Um, it kind of happened like we closed on the house and got moved in. And then three days later, the Roe v. Wade decision happened, uh, or the SCOTUS overturning Roe v. Wade decision happened. And so it was kind of just like, oh my gosh, we're homeowners. This is supposed to be a joyful time in our lives. Uh, but it was, it was kind of stressful because all of a sudden I was busy and doing things and um, but I am trying to be more at home and I love it. It's nice. It's just a little town home. Um, so it's nothing special. Uh, but I really like it. It's a quiet neighborhood. I'm like five minutes away, not even five minutes. I'm like literally a one minute drive away from target. Um, so that's great. I can spend all my money at target now, <laughs> uh, which I have definitely been doing. I like target a lot. Uh, it's just so nice and clean in there. Um, but yeah, what else is going on? Today at the Iowa City Public Library, we're going to be making, uh, packages for self-managed abortion. Um, what that means is, like, we're just going to be filling, like, paper bags with things like pads, Tylenol, candles, you know, cozy socks, tea, stuff that would make, um, an at-home abortion, um, it would something that, you know, just something that would make you more comfortable during an at-home abortion. Um, so I'm really excited to make that. I think that's going to be awesome. Um, I'm printing out, I bought like a $20 printer off of Facebook Marketplace and it's just like a black and white laser printer, but this thing is so handy and I bought it because it's just like, oh, I, I don't want to have to rely on other people to, to print things for me, but I'm printing out these abortion doula signs and they've got like like word searches in there and crossword puzzles and like words of affirmation that we're gonna stick in the care packages and they're really awesome I um somebody 
showed it to me and I thought that that is a great thing to print out to stick in there. Um, so yeah, yeah, I have a $20 printer. It works really well. I'm surprised that somebody was just like, I'm giving away this printer for $20 because these printers are like $500 and then they're just giving it away practically for free. Oh man, people crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know if you know a little bit about me, um, but my sister, when she was 16 or 15 years old, um, she woke up one day and, um, felt like her legs and her back was on fire. Um, so yeah, this is about to get heavy. I don't know why I just switched so fast like that. Um, but it's about to get a little bit heavy. Um, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about my life and my traumas and stuff. Um, but it's Disability Pride Month, so I figured it's a good time to tell the story. But anyways, my sister, Laura, um, she, yeah, woke up one day. Um, and I remember um, my still going to school. Like, we just thought she was sick. So me and my other sister, we went to school. And um, I remember one day that uh, the day that it happened, uh, they came and pulled us out of class and we had no idea what was going on. Uh, but we went home and uh, they took Laura to the hospital and she had no more mobility in her legs. Um, and so this happened when I was maybe like nine or 10 years old, I think. Um, but yeah, she ended up um, being in the hospital for a really long time while the doctors tried to figure out what was going on with her. And, um, yeah, that was a definitely a stressful time for our family. Um, but anyways, uh, come, we come to find out, um, that she has this rare, um, and, uh, it's not a disease, <laughs> um, but it's called transverse myelitis and it's an infection to the spinal cord. Um, I gotta do a better, do a better description of what it is. Yeah, it's an inflammation on both sides of one section of the spinal cord. Um, it's a neurological disorder that often damages the insulating material covering nerve cell fibers. Uh, transverse myelitis interrupts the messages the spinal cord nerves send throughout the body. Um, but yeah, so she has been disabled for um, almost half of her life now, um, she went from fully being able to like walk and, you know, yeah, to, to walk and the use of her legs to, to not being able to have that. Um, and I hope to get her on the, the podcast at some point to talk about it and, um, how being disabled affects her lives and the things that she struggles with and how we can advocate for disability rights better. Um, but I just wanted to share that story because, um, share what my experience, um, with disability, um, uh, because it definitely has had impacts on me and my family. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, it was a really hard time for all of us. And I know that it's been really hard on her. Um, and I don't want to speak for her or give out too many details of her life. Uh, but I know that she struggles daily with it and with the mental health issues that come with dis being disabled and then prior mental health issues. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I think that, um, we, we should definitely be 
be having these conversations about how we can help the disabled community and then following through with that. Um, but yeah, that's just a little bit more about me. Um, I don't want to talk too much about it because that could turn into like a whole big thing. Um, but yeah, that's my experience. And um, I love my sister. We were able to have this just a, few, a month or so ago, we went to Worlds of Fun with my family and with her, and she was able to get on to some roller coasters and ride some rides, and we had a good time. Um, yeah, and she hadn't been able to do that in a really long time, um, so she was pretty happy about that, and um, it was awesome. I, I, I felt like I got really nostalgic when we road roller coasters together because uh, we hadn't done that for so long. Um, but yeah, everybody should be able to ride a roller coaster, I, I would think. Um, you know, there are some that she weren't able to ride because like she doesn't have use of her legs. Um, and like the hanging ones where your feet dangle, like she wouldn't be able to ride that. But she was able to ride some of the like really tall ones and the really fast ones. And uh, that was awesome. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say about disability. Um, I know it's hard. Uh, hard for the person that is disabled and then also for the loved ones around um, around them. Um, yeah. What else is going on with my life? I don't know. <sighs> not, not much else. I... Uh, I was going to go back to school this fall, and um, I don't think I'm going to uh, because I want to get involved in the community in other ways, and I mean, I like where I'm at right now with my job and everything, so I'm, like, secure there, um, but yeah, I just, I, I, I would like to become an engineer and make lots of money, and be really good at math and all these things. <laughs> I don't know, all the things that come with being an engineer, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but <laughs> be really good at math. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> uh, but I just, I, I feel like I want to get more involved. I want to do other things besides just podcasting in the 40 days. Um, I want to, you know, maybe start volunteering at different places and uh, I don't know. Finding other ways to bring reproductive justice to the community um, is probably the biggest one on my mind right now. Um, and I have a lot of thoughts about that. So I might try to set that in motion. Um, yeah, and it's not going to be the end of the world if I don't go back to school right now. Uh, you know, I mean, school will always be there if I want to go. Um, and I kind of just want to, like, maybe take the next year to, like, be active and engaged with people and the community, and then also at home, like, I just want to enjoy my time and my new home and, like, not be super busy and stressed out about school, because I've done school full-time and worked full-time. It's, it's a lot. Um, it almost broke me the last time I did that, so... Maybe I should just take the next year to chill out and um, find other ways to engage. Um, 
I started watching this show called The Bear on Hulu, and um, oh my gosh, I so I love cooking, and I loved working in kitchens, um, and I did it for a really long time, um, but that show gives me anxiety as soon as I turn it on, and it's, a, it, yeah, it's just a very visceral, like, reaction to, like, this show because it is just so raw and it's just it's yeah I like can only watch it for a little bit I might have to stop watching it honestly because while I love I loved being like a line cook and a baker and everything it just it just like took me back and gave me a lot of anxiety while I was watching it like I could feel my heart like rushing like when I was watching it so I don't know it's a really good show though like don't get me wrong they did it really really well and I think that they got the dynamics of working in the kitchen like spot on um but yeah <laughs> yeah it's just it's funny I didn't think that I would ever get a a TV show that makes me feel like I'm having flashbacks to, like, being in a kitchen. And that's not to say that, like, all kitchens are, like, bad or, like, that it's a bad experience or a bad job or anything. But, like, some of it's just, like, whew, wow. Uh, it's just, it's, it's interesting to me. Um, yeah, I don't know. What else is going on? I don't know. Nothing, really. My cats are kind of being bullies to a, one of my other cats right now. I feel bad for her because I, I feel like they're just trying to, to play with her. But they're also, like, being kind of mean. And she doesn't like to be played with like that by other cats. So, anyways, that was... You guys don't really need to know that. That's just my my life. I noticed it the other day. My boyfriend and I noticed it they kind of cornered her and it was just like oh my gosh why are you guys being like this right now um because all my cats are very sweet to like us but like it's weird maybe it's just because it's a new house and they're being a little territorial or something I don't know <sighs> cat drama who doesn't like some cat drama um I've been talking for, like, 15 minutes straight. I'm so sorry. Uh, I literally, like, just woke up an hour ago and started getting on the computer to do some work. Um, so I'm a little, like, everywhere. Um, yes, I woke up at, like, 11.30 because I work overnight. So I sleep until 11.30 on Saturday. Um, but to the interview... I guess. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy this. I really like, uh, I really enjoy Erin and her talking about all things disability. So I hope you enjoy the interview and I hope you have a good weekend. Yeah. Awesome. So how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's been a really, really busy week. <laughs> I've had a couple of interviews and Lots of things going on. You know, the thing about being a business owner is people think that one, that's like solely your job or you're just 
messing around making TikToks all day, which that's part of it. But also like um, you kind of have to have, especially in this economy, you kind of have to have a lot of different jobs to keep yourself afloat. Right. Um, so I'm a business owner, but I also work for a living too. Right. Um, because owning your business doesn't automatically mean that money is constantly flowing in. So yeah, I did some interviews this week and yeah, it's been a busy week. It always is. Like, yeah. <laughs> it always is. How are you? I'm doing good. I've, uh, yesterday I took the day off, um, because of the storm that was going to come through and I was just anxious because I thought it was going to be this big storm and, you know, nothing really happened here. So I was just like thankful that nothing happened, but yeah, it's been a, it's still been a rough week. Um, just because I was like nervous because I had an interview in a different department for a different job. And so I was kind of anxious about that. And when I get anxious, I just get very uptight and very, I just get really stressed out, but I'm doing okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I saw your Facebook post about uh, working in a new department. That's cool, you know? Yeah. Sometimes people are like afraid to like, move departments or like do a different job or something I'm like not me if you're not happy like do something else you know yeah. like yeah life's too short but I don't know if you know this but I'm in Iowa City too so yeah my husband and I were hunkering down for like a big storm which I saw like on the Washington Post today so there was like a huge tornado like twister 1999 type of tornado yeah that was like a four state tornado that hit yeah. like all these areas in the midwest and so i'm like i hope that we're past it and we don't yeah. have another derecho because derecho was terrible and i'm not even going to get into like the fact that we don't have good like disaster emergency protocols in general yeah. but for disabled people like we have nothing like I mean my friends who are like on ventilators were in dire straits so so yeah it's really something that gives disabled people a lot of anxiety especially you know I mean it it was just so impactful last year yeah well, um, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, your pronouns, and tell me who you are and what you do? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Um, so my name is Erin Noon K. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. Um, and I am the CEO and founder of Claiming Disability LLC. Uh, we are a local limited liability company located in Iowa City, working to educate, advocate, and empower the disabled community through media projects. So I have my own podcast called the Claiming Disability Podcast, where I interview disabled celebrities. Um, I talk about disability pride and disability culture. We can kind of get into that 
more um, as we go along in this interview. But yeah, the purpose of my company is really to just empower disabled people, teach disabled people that one, notice I'm using um, identity first language. So, you know, there's disabled person and then there's people with disabilities, which people with disabilities is considered person first language. And I don't personally embrace that language because that's part of the nonprofit sector, the social sector. Um, so disabled people who are part of the identity first movement, like I'm part of, I'm a proud disabled woman, are about reclaiming that identity because disability isn't bad. Um, as a society, as a culture, we just kind of say that like, well, honestly, people, people say it's, they're better off dead than disabled. <laughs> and so I'm here to dispel those myths because uh, we're 1 billion people, we're 15% of the population, and chances are with throughout your lifetime, and this is not a caution, this is not a disabled cautionary tale, um, chances are throughout your lifetime, you will become disabled or chronically ill. So it's not, it's not about this thing of being scary. It's about acceptance, it's empowerment. Um, yeah. And that's kind of why I started my company and I enjoy doing podcasts, but it's definitely a lot of work. Good for you. <laughs> it definitely is a lot of work. Um, I've had a chance to uh, listen to your podcast and I absolutely love it. Um, I'm oh, sure you know. You. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, I listen to it because as I'm sure that, you know, I do have a sister who is also disabled. She has transverse myelitis. Um, so I like to listen to it just so I can get, you know, more, more knowledgeable and like on stuff that she deals with, um, just because it does, has affected me and my family. Um, what is your favorite part about your podcast and making your podcast? My favorite part about my podcast is so when I was, I'm going to date myself. I don't care. I, I'm very candid. I'm probably going to swear. I hope that's okay. That's fine. Um, that's just kind of my personality type. Um, but my favorite part about my podcast is I went from in the nineties, there was no disabled representation of any kind, no disabled Barbies, no disabled characters on TV, you know, nothing like that. And for me to now be interviewing people like Lolo Spencer, who is now starring in the HBO Max special, The Sex Lives of College Girls, written and produced by Mindy Kaling, is just like, what? Um, so when I was growing up, you know, I didn't really have any disabled representation of any kind. And it was only until I started engaging online back in the day when we just had Facebook. 
uh, where I started trying to reach out and find disabled communities. Because I think what happens to disabled people often is we feel very isolated. We feel like we're the only people who are experiencing disability. When I was in kindergarten, I was the only person with a walker with braces who felt like she was 80 years old. And I also had poison ivy the first day of kindergarten. That's a whole other story. So it was like a lot, you know, like I had poison ivy, I had braces, a walker, like it was a lot for people to handle. And I was like, no, the poison ivy is a part of my disability. I was just rolling around in poison ivy all summer long. Um, so yeah, I just, you don't really have people to show you what it's like to live a disabled life. So you, the thing why I wanted to focus on with my podcast about media narratives and film representation and things online is because when we have a pitting narrative about disability, that impacts our community and how people perceive disability. Like the movie Me Before You, which is um, thought of in the community to not be a great example of living as a disabled person because the main character is basically like, I'm sad, I want to die. Like, these are these are the narratives that we've grown up with. And that's just not true. Like disabled people have very fulfilling lives and not in an inspiration porn kind of way. And if you guys aren't familiar with inspiration porn, it's it's using dis disabled people in this lens of like, oh my God, look at how bad their life is. You know, they can barely get around. They must have a terrible life. Uh, no, <laughs> um, we don't, you know, we get married, we have jobs. I do a lot of basic things. I get called inspirational a lot. And I'm like, I'm inspirational for just putting a pair of pants on, apparently. <laughs> like, so I think we need to like reframe how we view disability. And I think, especially in the community, we get so caught up with language, like I was talking about with identity first versus person first. I, I am a person. I am a human. I'm a disabled human. Now, there's a lot of controversy in the community because a lot of disabled people prefer person first. And it's always important to ask disabled people what their preferences are. But again, I really think more and more disabled people are like, disability is not bad. I'm not ashamed of it. I shouldn't have to be ashamed of living my life like I would anyone else. It's so funny because when people, people have literally said to me, they've been like, I would rather kill myself than be disabled. I guarantee you, if you were disabled, you would live your life just fine. <laughs> like I, a hundred percent, because what's the alternative? Like, what's the alternative? There is none. You just have to live. Anyway, sorry. I'm not used to being in the, 
interview each no, other. No, it's okay. As so as you can tell. That's okay. Um, I like listening to people talk, so that's my thing. Um, so yeah, that was a great answer. Thank you for, for yeah, explaining all that. Um, so my cat's being dumb. This is Bojack. <laughs> He is I'm just, surprised my dog hasn't come up and <laughs> um, around. Um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, I was going to say, um, you did a promo for our rally in September, and you talked about how we need to be more inclusive in the reproductive justice um, movement. Um, of the disabled community. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I can. Um, so, and I feel really bad because life is a blur and I can't remember when that was. Um, but I have always really cared about reproductive justice, reproductive health, um, I'm a firm believer in my body, my choice, um, and I don't think people really realize how much intersectionality there is between reproductive health and disability, because, you know, we have an understanding with our own bodies that we need to get checked and have those options, and the thing about it is, I'm going to be perfectly honest, I'm 33 years old, and I had my first pap smear when I was 32. <laughs> like, that's startling. Um, the fact that disabled people aren't able to get up on tables, like, I'm very physically disabled. I have cerebral palsy. I use a walker. I've used a wheelchair, I've used a motorized wheelchair, I've used all the mobility aids out there. Um, and when I go to the doctor's office, it's not accessible for me. Um, they can't get me up on the tables. They can't put me in the stirrups type of thing. And that's very disconcerting if you're a disabled woman uh, or a disabled person. Um, needing reproductive health care because uh, you need to be able to get checked regularly and I don't have that option when I go to the doctor. Now luckily I was able to get up and go to the OBGYN but it was only because they had a surgery table available. Their standard tables are not accessible to get people up and get checked. And so one of the reasons I've become really active in the reproductive space is anytime I talk about disability reproductive health. Um, so I have an Instagram page and I'll, I'll do my links and everything, but I have over 5,000 followers on my Instagram page and I get a lot of messages all the time. And Anytime I talk about reproductive health, I get an influx of disabled women. I'm talking about dis disabled women, disabled people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, who have never had gynecological checks. 
just standard gynecological checks. Um, and that to me is startling. Like, I just, I'm blown away by that. And I told my gynecologist, I was like, what do I do with all these people who are asking me about reproductive resources for disabled people? Like, what do I do about all these DMs and messages? And my gynecologist told me, she was like, well, you can teach people about their resources. And I'm like, that's not my job. You're a medical professional. Like, it's not my job to, I'm not, I'm a podcast host. I'm a business owner. It's not my job to provide reproductive resources to disabled people, but it's going to have to be my job because apparently medical professionals are like, doesn't matter to us. Like, I also do medical studies at the University of Iowa, which is a big university here where you and I are from. And I do um, studies where I do this program where young medical students meet disabled people. Some of these young doctors, future doctors, are 20 years old, 18 years old, you know, 21 years old, and they've never met a disabled person in their life. Like, that to me is just like, oh my goodness, like, and I'm happy to, you know, talk about my medical experiences. I'm happy to kind of allude to the fact that hospitals aren't accessible because here's a newsflash. Everybody thinks disabled people are hanging out in hospitals. We are not um, because they're not accessible. Uh, I threw my back out a few years ago and I wasn't able to get on the ER bed to lay down and get an injection. So they had to do it in a chair in the in the um, front of the ER, which is like, again, we're not accessible. I'm not able to get on a scale at the doctor's office. It's not accessible. Um, a lot of times, like in my PCP office, it's not accessible. It doesn't accommodate for wheelchairs or walkers or anything. So there's just there's a huge medical bias when it comes to disabled people and getting appropriate healthcare. Um, I know I've experienced it firsthand with my pain management. Um, I've had doctors give me opioids and say, well, you're disabled, so you're just gonna be in pain. <laughs> and again, they're not actually treating what is wrong? They're just throwing pills at me and saying, oh, well, we're not sure what's going on. And again, I was talking to a disabled gal the other day that comes down to a lack of specialists for disabled people. I don't have a cerebral palsy specialist as an adult. I had a pediatrician who specialized in cerebral palsy as a child. But as soon as I turned 18, there was nothing, no one, because all the funding goes to disabled children. Some people say special needs children. We say disabled children because 
it's we have human needs not special needs i won't go into that whole tangent but right um it's just it's silly it's it's infantilizing we don't need euphemi euphemisms for disability just say disabled it's fine like people's fear of saying disabled people saying things like differently abled special needs handicapable these are all euphemisms for disability because we're afraid to talk about disability <laughs> like euphemisms don't need to exist if we just have a realistic conversation about people being disabled and again that's where the medical bias comes in because a lot of times people don't even read my chart they don't know what's going on with me or anything like that and it's just it's a sad reality and i talked to a gal who told me not only are gynecological offices like this, but rehab centers are like this too. Rehab centers are not accessible for disabled people. It's just, we need, we need to rethink the way we think about medical accessibility because I think we just automatically assume because it's a hospital or a clinic, it's accessible and it's not. um what are some of the ways that um people could speak up about these things and take action to try to fight for the disabled community and to try to make sure places like hospitals are accessible and to, yeah does that make sense like would that just be making sure that we're calling hospitals or writing to hospitals or um i mean that's really frustrating when me yeah medical <laughs> places aren't even accessible you would think that that would be the first place that would be accessible it's a common misconception <laughs> that's yeah. why we're sitting there talking about it yeah i think one of the biggest things and i know this is very philosophical and woo-woo but i don't care that's how i am as a person but like the reality of it is it comes back to conversations around disability we are scared to death as a society to admit that people have disabilities that they need accommodations that they need things to be accessible we live in a society that's entrenched in ableism. There is so much ableism that exists in the world that disabled people often experience a phenomenon of internalized ableism where you reject your disabled identity. I didn't identify as a disabled person until I turned 30 years old because I was told as a child who grew up in a all able-bodied household that I, with exercise, with perseverance, with all this stuff, I could overcome and beat cerebral palsy. That sounds really familiar. <laughs> really? Um, not for me, but it sounds kind of like my family, honestly. Well, I feel bad. I don't mean to call you out or something. No, it's okay. 
Um, I I don't think I've ever said that to my sister, but it that I don't want to get into that. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Right. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's okay. Honestly, the overcoming narrative is so prevalent. Yeah, and that's what we're trying to change in the nonprofit and social service realm. We still have a mentality. And before I, you know, ran my own company, I worked for a nonprofit locally in Iowa City um, that worked with mental health. And again, we still play into these narratives that if people just try and try and try and try, they can overcome anything, you know? But this is why I have a shirt that says disabled people have depression unrelated to their disability. Because for the longest time, I was like, I don't have depression. I don't have anxiety. I can beat this. I could just need to do more. I just need to exercise more. I just need to do the stupid mantras that we have that are bullshit and don't work. Um, you know, and I won't need to be on medicine, but you know what? If you need to be on medicine, that is okay. And I'm proud of you for doing that because we are so resistant as a society to do anything else, but admit I have mental illness, but admit I have a disability and I need to take things slower than the average person. Like, it's okay to admit that we have disabilities. And again, like you're talking about, like what can able-bodied people do? Part of it is just, it's awareness. It's, you know, knowing that <laughs> this is bad, but it's the truth, whatever. But like every single place that I've ever gone into, unless I explicitly do the work to find out if it's accessible. Like places are very, very inaccessible. They're, they just are like hospitals, schools, all this stuff. And again, that goes back to the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990. Just because something is ADA compliant doesn't mean it's accessible. There's so many loopholes and there's been so many lobbyists and people lobbying for business owners that are like we don't have the funds to make this accessible or this accessible like just because it's ADA compliant doesn't mean it's accessible like so we just need to understand that as a whole the world is inaccessible for disabled people and we need to make an effort to try to include disabled people into these conversations. Again, like when we do reproductive health conversations, when we do diversity, sorry, sometimes this crap seems so performative, it's not even funny. Like, but when we do diversity crap, sorry, but like we always forget disability. We always do. Like you have a long list of you know, how we are being inclusive to the LGBTQI 
a community, to, uh, to the Black community, to all these different communities. But then when it comes to the disabled community, it's nothing. And again, we're 15% of the population. You're more likely to encounter a disabled person, you know, in every day. But like, again, it just goes back to that awareness piece and, and trying to break down the stigma of disability because I feel like if we go into doctor's offices and say, hey, I have a disability and be very open about it. And unfortunately, because I've been so open about my disability, you know, medical professionals don't treat me very well. And again, that has to do with medical bias. Like I, somebody told me the other day when I was doing a live, their doctor had told them that they don't believe that anybody should use a mobility aid. This is a doctor. <laughs> what is a mobility aid? What is a mobility aid? Yeah. A mobility aid is something that uh, people use to get around and accommodate their life. So oh. I have a walker. Okay, gotcha. Okay, yeah. that is my <laughs> mobility aid. There's a power chair. Gotcha. There's just all sorts of mobility aids. And again, I'm not going to get into that too, but in the disabled community, there's so many people who are so resistant to using a mobility aid because of the stigma attached to it. Oh my God, I let my disability win. I use a mobility aid. You know, hey, if it helps you get around and you can do daily life, that's that's really all that matters. So I'm trying to break those stigmas down. Sorry, I got a little lost there in my own thoughts. No, it's okay. <laughs> um, I think it's good to just sometimes let it out and to let the, the thoughts keep going because, um, yeah. Yeah, um, I think the more we talk about these things, the less stigmatized it becomes. Um, I don't know, what else? What else would you want listeners to know? My biggest thing, if you are a disabled person and you need reproductive resources, um, I can help you. You can send me a DM on uh, Aaron Claiming Disability LLC on Instagram, or you can find me on Facebook at Claiming Disability LLC. I'm happy to help you uh, with reproductive resources. I know that there's a clinic in New York that specializes in specifically helping disabled women or disabled people with reproductive things and it's accessible. Um, but that's pretty much the only clinic that exists. So understand that if we don't advocate for our needs, if we don't actively go in and say, I need this accommodation, like, you know, doctors aren't going to do it. You're just going to have, you'll go into the doctor's office and they'll just be like, can you get up on this table? And then you're like, no, I can't. Like, and they're like, oh, you know, so if you're not actively advocating for yourself and being like, 
I need this resource, I need this table, I need this accommodation. They have these accommodations, they just don't offer them to the general public. Um, if your room isn't accessible in the hospital or the general clinic, you can request a different room to accommodate your wheelchair or mobility aid. Um, it's just, again, it's being vocal and it's understanding that just because they're a medical practitioner doesn't mean they know anything about your disability or your condition. Um, you need to go to a specialist, but even again, if you're going to a specialist for like cerebral palsy for what I have, you know, you have to understand that the majority of specialists are for children. <laughs> they don't follow disabled um, adults into adulthood because again, we just, we have that funding stream. We care a lot about disabled kids, special needs kids, but when you become an adult, we don't care as much. And that's what we're definitely seeing with the privatization of Medicaid. Um, I was on Medicaid for many years and in Iowa, they have completely privatized it. And some of my friends are in nursing homes because Iowa has refused to pay for disabled people's care. <laughs> Essentially is, you know, they have decided that our lives, our lives are not worth it. <laughs> and disabled people are dying. Uh, because of this lack of care and because of this insurance overhaul that is terrible. But um, yeah, just you have to be vigilant. You have to be vocal. I know it's hard because there's so many disabled people out there that are like, I don't want to be an advocate. There's tons of advocates out there and it's just an echo chamber and blah, 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 and all this stuff. If you don't talk about it, no one else is talking about it. When's the last time you went to a party as a disabled person and somebody was actually talking about the privatization of Medicaid? When's the last time that you went to a party and somebody's actually talking about the fact that this restaurant we all went to has steps to get into the building and it's a brand new building that was built in 2019. Um, you're the only person thinking about it because you're the disabled person of the group. Um, the able-bodied people don't think about it. If you don't have a disability, you're not thinking about this stuff. You're really not. It's like the hospital thing. It's like, you don't think about this stuff. Um. Well, um, what are some other, what are some good local resources around here? Are there any, huh? are you kidding? There's not. <laughs> um, well, I can't say that, but, um, all right. Let me think here. Community the Crisis Service Center, if you're in crisis, understand that disabled people um, 
50% of people who have disabilities also have a dual diagnosis of a mental illness. Um, we deal with mental illness because we're dealing with ableism, discrimination, oppression. There's a lot of reasons, isolation, um, why you would deal with depression as a disabled person. And it's okay if you're depressed. I know it's hard because we don't want another thing. I think one of the reasons I was so resistant to getting mental health care and getting into therapy and getting on medicine was because I didn't want another thing. <laughs> I didn't want to be the disabled person who's also mentally ill. But it's a reality and it's okay if you need medication to function. That's totally fine. I do. We need to break that stigma. So I think the crisis center community, excuse me, whatever the heck it's called, like it's doing great work, um, particularly for disabled people. It's not accessible. Whoops. Sorry, Rebecca Redis, whatever. But anyway, um, I used to used to work in all that stuff. So yeah, I wouldn't say those places are the most accessible places or really um, when I work nonprofit, I won't say which one because you probably know because you're local, but um, one of the biggest things with uh, nonprofits anywhere, I've worked in a lot of different nonprofits, I've lived in different areas, is um, so you have a client base. And so disabled people, I'm disabled as heck, and I use a walker and a wheelchair. And so when people see me, they assume that I'm a client. And that's part of the problem, right? I actually worked at the nonprofit doing fundraising and development. And there's an entire culture that exists within these nonprofits. And yes, even in Iowa City, um, where the hierarchy is, the client is on the bottom, able-bodied people on the top. Um, and that really needs to change because you have to understand how valuable disabled people are to the nonprofit sector. Do you have any idea how many clients I worked with who were like, that's amazing that you take paratransit. That's amazing that you take the bus. That's amazing that you've been on food stamps. That's amazing that you know where I'm coming from. There is, we are not attributing enough to empathy and having real people be able to relate to your client base, but that's a whole nother thing. Anyway, community is great. DBIP is wonderful for domestic violence. Unfortunately, disabled people, uh, we are three times as likely to be in a domestic violence partnership. Um, sometimes we get into domestic violence caregiver relationships and you need to know how to maneuver that. DVIP is a wonderful resource. Free lunch program is a wonderful resource. <laughs> the University of Iowa. Um, I mean, considering you go into the 
Center for Disabilities and Development, and there's a staircase. <laughs> As you first walk in, let's let's give a little bit of context. Um, they have wonderful resources. Uh, do we need to be working on making things accessible like we did with the university where we, uh, the group of students, some friends of mine, Katie and Andrea, they actually got the disability student services moved to an actual accessible place on campus, but that caused quite a stir. And again, why is it causing a stir? Because when disabled people raise their voice and they say, this isn't accessible, able-bodied people get upset about it. So <laughs> that's just how it is. Anyway, it's moved now. It took them years, but it's moved. Um, so again, as shitty, it's shitty. It's fucking shitty that you as a disabled person cannot access adequate reproductive health care. That's shitty. That's shitty that we live in a society like this. But the thing about it is, again, people don't know unless you vocalize. If you can't, you know, see your local OBGYN because they're not accessible, that's what happened to me. I had to switch and I had to go somewhere where it was accessible and they could find a table for me. It took forever for the surgery table to actually be open. And then, you know, when you get there, there's a whole like thing about that. And then the care you receive, and I'm not gonna go into that, but you just have to be really, really vocal. And you have to do it for your health because you know, nobody's checking on our stuff. We have to do it. Sorry, I'm not, I used to work nonprofit here. I'm not big on promoting IWC. No, that's okay. Iowa oh. City nonprofits. No, that's okay. Nonprofits here. So. I was just Sorry. hoping that there might be something for someone out there. Um. That's really all I, this stupid cat. Um, that's really all I had for you today. Um, unless you had anything else. Um, yeah. Yeah, that works for me. Um, yeah. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. I really appreciate it. A lot of this stuff is very frustrating. Yeah. It's just, there's not a lot of good answers, unfortunately. Yeah. There's I, not a lot of good answers. Yeah. Uh, especially with the cutting of the Medicaid, the privatization of Medicaid. Um, yeah. When you brought that up, that almost. Uh, we have Kim Reynolds to thank for that directly. Um, yeah, disabled people are dying, disabled people are in nursing homes. It's really, really, really bad. And it's funny because I just did an interview for NerdWallet and somebody was like, why doesn't anybody ever talk about how bad it is for disabled people out here? And I'm like, 
We are talking about it. Geologists aren't listening. Yeah. Um, because you really, you don't care about it. You don't understand SSI, you know, supplemental um, security income. You don't understand SSDI. You don't understand Medicaid. Um, you don't understand this stuff until you become disabled and become reliant on these systems. Mm -hmm. And um, it was funny. Can you cut that nonprofit part out? Yeah, I can. Um, Thank you. But um, well, one time I did a presentation for, uh, what the fuck is that group called? The, um, the Iowa City, you know, like the downtown thing or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, we were at, um, I don't fucking know, like Mosley's. I don't know. I never go down there, but like I did for this thing. And so I was talking about the privatization of Medicaid. And of course, there's just a bunch of rich people in there, <laughs> rich white people. And they were just like, um, what the heck are you even talking about? I was like, um, yeah, there, there is a divide. It's super funny because when you work nonprofit, it's like they want to help all these nonprofits and they claim that they care about like these communities and these, and these cultures. And I'm like, I don't think you know anything about these communities and these cultures. Um, which it's it's funny but anyway i used to work for nami the national alliance on mental illness of johnson county um i yeah so yeah i've done the nonprofit thing in iowa city i think they do more harm than good honestly yeah. so that's my very frank opinion on that um and you can take that i know you're with the community corridor action thing you guys seem great but yeah um yeah the corridor community action network and the iowa city mutual aid they don't really consider themselves non-profit it's more just like a collective of people so it's like it's a little bit different than a way a non-profit would work anyways which seems yeah. to be seems to be the right way of doing things instead of like trying to raise funds for stuff and then like excluding people i don't know well and see i've worked fundraising and development and a lot of that money goes to administrative yeah <laughs> so essentially it was my job to tell people oh we're you know we're raising money for educational classes and support groups but, you know, I could give you a breakdown budget of where all the money went and it went yeah. to pay salaries. But I also understand, like in nonprofit, I was working 60 hours a week and I was getting paid for 20 hours. People in nonprofit need to get paid. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, the burnout in nonprofit is very real because in nonprofit culture, you are constantly being asked to overextend yourself for the sake of the nonprofit. And that shit needs to change. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, there's a reason I got out all of that shit. <laughs> <laughs> there is a reason for that. Although I am 
considering taking another nonprofit job, which I'm like, oh my God. But anyway. Yeah. That's all I got. Um, I got to get going here. We've got that. Another, those city high students are going to be doing that walkout um, for reproductive rights, which is pretty cool to see young kids doing that it's super cool <laughs> that is really cool. i know Good it's for them i know right i don't know i have a quick question for you because i feel like anytime that we do reproductive shit yeah i'm just like or anytime i talk about it yeah do we say like reproductive health for people or what what like, do you mean I mean, I'm just like, cause I'm going to stop was, recording. 